Was it anyone's birthday yesterday for leap year? Does anyone have a leap year birthday? That's a special thing. I've got a gift for you if it was. Yes. That's a very special deal. Yeah, give them a hand. Doesn't happen often. Yeah, there you go. Anyone else? I've thrown, I've learned early, don't throw things from stage. Who back here? Or who just wants a free gift? No. Bunch of liars. No. Anyone? Was it really? Oh, wait. Any, any birthdays today? Are you serious? I trust you right now. At this moment, I, I always trust you. There you go. Happy birthday. What, 13? 14. Awesome. 14. Happy birthday. Anyone else I missed? Well, come find me after. We'll see uh, how the spirit leads. I was watching the, I was watching the, uh, this sounds kind of boring. I just kind of tuned in a little bit. Uh, in Atlanta yesterday, they had the, the marathon that would get people into the Tokyo Olympics this summer. I don't worry, I didn't watch like a two-hour race. I mean, that, I mean, if you did, that's great. I was just tuning in because I've been to Atlanta a lot, and I, I knew there was going to be a really hard course for a lot of the athletes. It's a lot of up and like a lot of hills, and running a marathon is difficult in itself. Has anyone tried a half marathon or a full marathon? That's a big no. All right, five Ks. I know there's cross country people out there, so they're just being silent. So we love you. We support you. Hey, so watching it, they were talking a lot about the athletes because they have a long time to talk about the athletes. It's a long race, but running a marathon in just over two hours is a, an amazing feat. And so uh, they picked the top three women and men that finished, and they're going to go represent us in Tokyo Olympics in the summer. Yeah, we, we should. That's going to be great. You get to watch the Summer Olympics. But they were talking a lot about injuries that they have, and it got, they got talking about like a lot of sports-related injuries. Because people that run marathons, I mean, they train their bodies real hard, and it's very tough on them. I mean, running that amount of miles consistently does probably wreak havoc on your body and, and your knees and your legs. And so you have to build up your body. And I talked a lot about sports injuries, and it got me thinking about uh, maybe a, an old sports injury of mine growing up. And so one of my, everyone has these, and you always remember maybe a sports-related or a, a major injury in your life because it's one of the most humbling things that can happen to you in your life. Because it now puts it out of your control. It's humbling because you really can't do what you're used to doing anymore. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it kind of takes all the pride and air out of your lungs. You're like, wow, okay, I'm still kind of fragile and I, I can't, I can't uh, throw a baseball right now like I usually want to, or I can't run as fast as I'm used to, or just fill in your story there. We all have the stories. Uh, guys, I'm not talking about like scars and stuff, but that too, sure. Uh, but just stories of maybe some major things that happened in your life, it's very humbling. And uh, a humbling moment for me was my freshman year at uh, Billy Ryan High School, uh, Home of Champions. We were there, and I was playing, uh, I mean, it was still ninth grade, and so I was still playing football. That's most what you do at freshman. And then as I got older, I got out of football for obvious reasons. I mean, I'm not going to play football, right? Um, and so, but it was still fun up to that point. And then after that, it's when it gets really serious. But I digress. I was uh, playing, I'm tr really trying to 
build up my football career, what I thought would be a big football career. And, uh, you know, me and my friends, we had fun at Strickland playing football, all go in, and, and, and going up to, stepping up to high school level is different. Uh, a lot of conditioning, right? And so the summer before my first freshman year was a lot of being up there. And this was right before our freshman year, and we were traveling to watch a hatchie to play a scrimmage, and that's just a bad deal in itself. If you're from there, I'm not making fun of your town. I'm just saying just the whole idea of going there just didn't sound fun to me. It was August. It was real hot. You don't really look forward to these scrimmages because all that can happen is what? I mean, some of your best players get injured. And uh, that happened to me. Um, not that I was the best player by any means, but let's just, it's my story, so I was. Um, so we were there, and uh, I wasn't getting much playing time in the beginning. I'll let you fill in the blank why, you know. Uh, they were saving me, you know, for the season. And uh, I was on the sidelines doing really well there. And before you know it, I finally get my name called, right? And so I run in, and everything in practice, everything in my life was built up to this moment. Right? My whole vision of what could be my career and this sport, you fill in the blank for you. Maybe the first time you got on the basketball court, the volleyball court, you're like, yes, this is my time to show everyone. They were, like, maybe they were wrong or maybe they were right, and I'm going to make sure they know I'm right or they're right. So I got out there, and uh, for whatever reason, I chose uh, – people that know football will be like, you played that? Well, I was a cornerback, and so that means I guard receivers. And really there was no other place for me because uh, I was kind of uh, too small to be a linebacker and – uh, not uh, big enough to be a, like a good receiver. It was just that, yeah, I was not destined for football. And uh, so I went out there, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to make a highlight thing, and my coach is watching. Great, first play, got this. And uh, I, I line up on the receiver, and uh, the thing you're thinking as a cornerback, it's either, of course, anyone. You're either looking for a pass first, or, but you also got to wait for the run because you also got to step up and take care of the run. That's how you really show the coaches you can hold your side of the ball, right? And so they go, and he comes in, and he shoots across this way. And I'm like, okay, easy route. I've guarded this before. And I'm following him. I'm tracking. About halfway across the field, I realize something. One, I'm not as fast as I thought I was. Two, I realize it's a run to my side of the, of the field. And they, he was decoying me. I'm like, ha, clever, but not clever enough. For I will turn around and run and try and meet the running back. While all this was happening, in slow motion to me, I had turned and run. And while I was thinking about finally turning around, I made a new friend. And at the same time, I also made it into an offensive lineman's highlight reel. Because at that moment, I learned a term. When the offensive line pulls... For runs, that's when they have a lot of fun. And they don't, they don't have to block anymore in the, the way they're used to. They get to pull away from their line and run. So big guys running, way bigger than me. And this guy from Watahatchee, I mean, he's just, man, right out of the soil, right? <laughs> he's just grown straight there. And he's, like, mean. And I meet him. I mean, he's an all-star athlete, probably in the NFL right now. He's, he's fun. And I, while I'm thinking about turning this way, he meets me in the middle of the field and has like a, a, yeah, a fun time there, and tosses me uh, back like a sack of potatoes. And <laughs> he did his job, right? I allowed him to do his job. There you go. That's one way to look at it. Um, but that's not who you want on your team. And so I got tossed aside, like I said, like a, like a, a worthless bag of vegetables. 
and uh, I got I landed all of my strength on my left wrist, and it started. You know, <laughs> ever made popcorn? Anyway, so uh, I was <laughs> standing there, and I get up. I'm like, all right, shake it off, Keats. That was bad, but you're in it. And I go up to line up, and uh, as a corner, you get down and you put your two. Ha- I used to put my two hands up, and only one hand came up, and I'm like, odd. <laughs> This is odd feeling. What is this sen- weird uh, feeling in my left arm? I didn't fall asleep on it. I mean, I wasn't sleeping, you know. And I look down, and it's just puffing up already, and it's not doing too well. And so I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. One play in, then my whole career is gone. And so I run off, and my coach yells, Adamson, I just put you on. And I said, well, look at this. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, oh, get away. You're hideous. Get out of here. He tosses me on the bench, doesn't really care. Anyway, no, I, I shouldn't put my emotions too much into this. Uh, so I sit on the bench for three hours in pain before we take another however far Watahatchee is. And it was like the worst night of my life in pain-wise. I didn't even get to see the doctor for the next day. I don't know why we didn't go to the emergency room. Don't really know. Uh, but uh, I ended up having surgery on it. And my hopes and dreams of having any football career were crushed that day. My pride, if I had any, I w- don't worry, I wasn't, <laughs> I knew pretty much where I was going. But if I had any amount of pride left, it was shattered that day, my friends. Whatever football career I had ended that day. And then there's other stories of what happened after that. I, uh, they put a, a video camera in my hand because I had surgery, and so I just, I filmed practice after that. And that, also, that almost led me to a, a job in college, but that's another, that's for another day, my friends. Today is today. Happy March 1st. Happy day in Genesis day. Genesis 11 day. Because likewise this morning, we're going to see a similar story to what happened to uh, little freshman Keats on the football field. My whole life at that moment, I thought that night was shattered. My hopes and dreams, everything did turn out to be okay. And so really, a sermon in a sermon, if you just went through a major sports injury or something drastically changed in your life, hang on, all right? Um, hang on. Uh, it's huge to you right now because it's like your hand and it's right in front of your face. But as soon as you start to do this and realize the world around you and your whole life and how much, uh, how many amazing things you're going to get to do, um, it, it does maybe, quote unquote, stink that that happened to you. But hang on. God's got a good plan for you. All right. This morning, we're going to see some of the story of Genesis 11. And here's the main, uh, here's the main kind of anthem of this Everything that's happening in the story. So if, you, if you're going to tune out, I hope you don't. If you tune out for the next 15 minutes, just remember this. As you maybe just look down to your Bible in Genesis 11. God, watch this. We're going to see God continue his plan in Genesis. We're on the story. God's going to continue his plan through Genesis by dispersing people across the earth. God is going to scatter people across the earth and make nations. You ever thought why we're, how we're people are around the world and there's different countries and well we're going to see it today in the story God continues his plan by dispersing people across the earth who had gathered together seeking their own glory above his just like Keats in the story I built up my own power and glory and I thought this is all about me and God ended that quickly and I made a highlight reel for an offensive lineman bless him and in Genesis 11, I, I'm going to read the whole story because stories are supposed to be read beginning to end. It's only nine verses. 
And so just listen, just, just listen to the story, Genesis 11, as we continue our story through the book of Genesis, which is foundational, especially in 2020, to have good vision moving forward. You need to know the beginning. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Verse 3, and they said to one another, well, come, let us make bricks and burn them together. Thoroughly. <laughs> Wrong page. And they had brick for stone. They were using brick for stone and bitumen, bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, come again. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us also make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And watch this. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of man had built. And the Lord said, well, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they can do. And nothing what they want to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Incredible. Let me pray for this, this moment for a second. Father, thank you for this morning. We, we ask that we're coming in this room from all different um, conversations. We're trying to, and in some ways in ourselves, turn off all mod- notifications that we can just fully be here for 10, 15 minutes. Can we just fully be in this place and place ourselves before your word and be different because of it? And we're asked this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. This was around setting. This was around 2242 BC. I wrote that down because I wanted you to know. And that's their guess. But this is interesting. Jason was here last week. We just had what? Noah and the ark. Context is very critical. We have to know what happened last week. So Noah is in the ark, and they escape God's wrath. They, they go, and they make the Noahic covenant. God says, I'm going to hang my weapon of wrath in the, in the clouds. Uh, that's why I have rainbows, sometimes double rainbows. <laughs> and uh, we, we take pictures of them, and we awe them. They're great. But it's a covenant. It's a promise. God judged the earth. He says, I'm never going to do that again. People, go. Go multiply and fill the earth. In the whole world at this time, this is around 100 years after that point. They still had one common language. With the same words, they had, uh, they had unity. What could go wrong? And we saw that in verses 1 through 2. We're first going to see, simply, humans gather together. And 1 and 2. It says the whole earth had one language. Same words. I like the repetition there, just so you can... Okay, so they all had the common language. Got it. So if they're all talking the same language... They're all speaking the same language. Why not stay together? And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. People migrated east after Noah. Like I said, this is around, they think, 100 years after Noah came out of the ark and the Noahic covenant was, was founded. And I'll get to that in a second. And they settled there. This is modern Iraq. I didn't find a good enough map. You can look later. But just, just get there east. Just think that. They're east. 
But Houston, I have to tell you this, Houston, we already have a problem with our story. You may not believe it, only two verses in. What is the problem? Look in the text. What, what, what word have I highlighted there that may be really difficult at the end? That word rhymes with ettled. Settled, yeah, not kettle corn, get your mind out of the, uh, food. Settled, right. What were they supposed to do? What did he tell Adam to do? What did, and Eve to do? What did he tell Noah and his sons to do? Fill the earth. Go across the earth. Get out of here. Multiply and fill the earth. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I have them on there. The next slide. Yes, back. He told Noah this. Multiply and fill the earth. And they disobeyed already. They said, you know what? I don't really agree with that. Let's stay together. Wow. Get all the humans together. One language. What could go wrong? I mean, all right, I'm getting a little nervous. We're still only a couple chapters from when God created uh, the heavens and the earth, and we're, we're looking like there's another problem coming, and I'm a little nervous. Humans gather in verses 1 through 2, but humans don't just gather. They are confident in 3 through 4. Watch what they say. And the author of Genesis, Moses, he's going to use some uh, repeated words, and they're actually kind of funny later on. So there's a lot of humor in the Bible. Can we appreciate God's words this morning? Okay. Verse 3, and they said to one another, now they're talking, remember, same language, hey, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. This is what they said. Stop right there. Let's talk about bricks. <laughs> they came together. Let us come together. We're not we're gonna stay together, but we're gonna build something. I looked up some things about bricks just for you. Um, they mix bitumen and they use chopped straw and sand and clay. This is the desert for crying out loud, all right? Give them a break. They put all this together, but they did something that's pretty exceptional. Where does it say? And they what? And they burned them thoroughly. So a lot of people believe um, there's one way to make bricks. You can put it all together, lay it in the sun. You got some type of structure, right? But if you actually use a kiln, like remember in elementary art, your art teacher reaching in the kiln. My mom was an art teacher. She got burned so many times over uh, like 30 years having to take in clay in and out of the kiln. Anyway, you put clay inside a kiln, you heat it up, and now the bricks are able to withstand so much more pressure so they can go higher. So this is incredible. They've got some technology, well, they think. And let's talk about bitumen for a minute. You know, it's in the Bible. So uh, it's a substance. It's a black, oily, highly flammable material also known as tar, all right, so think of tar or asphalt, and coated, this is Moses, maybe, baby Moses, this coated his little boat, all right, this coated uh, his little boat, sermon in a sermon, uh, the picture of what, Noah was, baby Moses was placed in this, like this little ark to escape judgment in a river, in water, and they used bitumen to Hold it together. We just got done thinking about Noah's art to escape God's wrath. Interesting. The Bible's interesting. God breathed. Air, all right. Coated his boat. And this is my favorite. They don't just say, they don't just make bricks. But they say this again. Listen to this language. They say, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Are you kidding me? Houston, we still have a problem. We have a major problem. 
made this province. They made a city. They wanted to make a city, a tower, and a name for themselves. Three things. Why? To establish authority, power in the world, sort of over God. Over God. So ding, ding, we've got a little fight on our hands, and God didn't pick that fight. Man did. Man versus God. I don't know. Who will win? We'll see. And the reasoning is hilarious. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. That is quite literally the opposite of what they're supposed to do. Their reasoning is, we don't want to spread out, so let's stay here. And let's build a tower and show everyone how powerful we are. We can get to heaven. Seems like a lot of bricks. <laughs> so they, uh, they built a tower called a ziggurat. That means to be high or raised up. Also means like the top of a mountain or top of a hill. And I have some pictures later. Ah, oh, there they are. We have the best PowerPoint people in the world back there. This is a little structure. I did an architecture history minor in college. It's an easy minor to get. Anyway, uh, taking classes away. But we learned a lot about this, ancient Near East uh, buildings. They really believe this to be like a ziggurat. The ziggurat of Ur is like the most famous. This is what, it, you can go to a couple of different pictures. You can show any of the pictures I, whatever, whenever you want. Your call. Y'all, mankind wanted this to be the crown jewel of the city. They wanted to build a whole city. And they said, this tower is going to really flex. It's going to show everyone how powerful we are. We can, we can build bricks. We can go higher. They're building an altar to themselves. A step ladder like structure, as you can see, the bottom was square, rectangle. You could think of it as a stairway between God and earth. Later on, Jacob will have a dream that kind of shows something like this. Some people think that he's thinking of like a ziggurat sort of thing, like a Tower of Babel sort of thing. They're building themselves a tower. Yeah, there's some paintings in there. I'm not, the, of course, don't, the paintings, at, we didn't have uh, iPhones back then. So uh, they, uh, that's just a, a fun painting of what it could look like reaching into the heavens and imagine. It's sort of, they would build these towers everywhere back then. It was sort of like a uh, kind of a fake mountain to the people of Meso Mesopotamia. And it's typically done for false gods, for false god worship. To say, look how high up it is. It's, it's, it's a staircase. So now these false gods they would worship would step down. And they would put like an altar at the base. And they did, you know, there you go. All that false worship. This was going to be the symbol of mankind's power and strength. And unity. We can do this on our own. That's their mentality. We can do this on our own. God who, they're saying. Already, in 100 years, we can do this. We're not going to spread out. Noah just got done building an altar for the Lord. Look at this verse in Genesis 8. They just did this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. As soon as he got off the ark, and every clean animal and some of every clean bird, they did this. And look, it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you read Leviticus, it talks about your uh, sacrifices being pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then later on in Corinthians, we're supposed to be pleasing aromas, aromas of Christ. But this sacrifice that Noah did right off the ark was pleasing the Lord. Spend your time building altars of worship. And what did, what did the humans 100 years later already do? They said, okay, boomer, we are going to... They said, we're going to replace, we're going to replace 
Noah and this altar worship, and we're going to build an altar of self. We're going to build an altar of self. They said, we don't care about the old generation. We don't care. We're going to do our thing. No more altars of worship. We're building an altar. We're building this tower of self, altar of self. They don't care. Disrespectful. Forget the Lord. Building center wanting to achieve godlike status for themselves. One world government that overthrows God. Unity isn't something that God didn't desire for them. But what were they unified in, y'all? They were unified in themselves. They didn't care what just happened. They're not worshiping God anymore. They're unified in their own power. That's wrong. Found themselves. And the rising tension in this comes in verses 5 through 6. Watch this. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Stop right there. Seven's different. This is like the rising tension of the story. God comes down. Man builds up. God comes down. Do you see that? Do you see that in the text? Do you see that shift right there? It's a hinge. They're building a tower. Uh, the, the irony, the author's having uh, fun writing this. They're building a tower to ascend to heaven. And what happens? God steps down. God actually steps down. He can't even, it, the tower is so small, he can't even see it. He has to come down from heaven and say, kind of like a, a parent looking at a kid's fort. Just kind of like, that's nice. Look at the pillows there. That's so sweet. Like, you got a little rope hanging there. That's awesome. Like, it's so, it's so small and like, it's not, they try, you know. The Lord comes down he's like, building supervisor. Okay, what are you doing here? Ah, oh, I see how you heat a brick up. That's pretty cool. Right. Look what they're doing. You're reaching to the heavens, huh? Got it. A lot of dry humor in this passage. A lot of dry humor. Watch what happens in verse 7. Humans were confident, but God's going to do something. The same language, if you're underlining in your Bible earlier when it said, come let us, and then come let us do this, watch this. The author says it again. He says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language. He says, hey, let's go down there and do, confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And verse 7 is like a pivot, huge, underline. This is everything. This passage is mainly about the dispersion of people, nations created. And we always just think it's about building the tower. That's part of the story. But Tower of Babel, we, we just say that's what the story is about. You should say this is the creation of nations. God spreads everyone out, and this is how. Humans are confident in verses 3 through 4, but now they're confused in verse 7. It's the climax of the story. Come let us go down to confuse their language so they can't understand each other. And what, on a building site, what do you think would happen if everyone doesn't know each other's languages anymore and you can't understand? Would anything get accomplished? No. Sure, sign language, but not right now. Things came to a halt. This would change everything. Tom says this, uh, as he takes us through this in Young Guns, he says, when you, when you try and replace God, when you try and become God, 
you get confused. When you try to make yourself like God, you get confused. And humans are confused. And in verses 8 through 9, we see why. It's a resolution to the story. Watch this. Look what happens, of course. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Well, of course. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. They, they repeat to, to show. This is what he does. He confuses their language. Now they have different words. They had same words, and now they have different words. They had to stop building, and now they're scattered throughout the face of the earth. The entire world now with different language, different words, different races, scattered around as nations. This is the birth of nations. As we know it. God was forcing people. The funny thing is, um, God was forcing people to do what they were refusing to do on their own. To go, fill the earth. But God's sovereign. It's God's way. It's not your way or the highway. It's God's way. It's going to happen. His way. He's sovereign. He said, go, Noah, Noah and, and, and peeps, go do this. Go, go multiply and fill the earth. They didn't do it. He said, all right, now you will. Like that. Different languages. And what happens is God judged them by dividing the single language into multiple. They had to spread out. And so they became more isolated. And that's how a lot of, this is, I mean, you can read book after book after book of how this progresses. But they believe that that isolation started to create differences in race and languages and things like, or language was from God. But as you see, like dialect, all of that just spread out. What do you do to, in, in school if you have two kind of uh, kids who are causing trouble? What does the teacher do, right? Separates them. So God's saying, you know what? They're all coming together. This is going to be, what could they do together? Let's separate them over the face of the earth. Let's scatter them. Look at this. This kind of chiasm of, of structure. Humans are gathered together. And look, they're confident. They're uh, in themselves. Look at the middle there. God has to step down. God comes down. And now humans are confused now. God gives them different languages. And humans are scattered. God wins. God's in control. From gathering to scattering. From being confident in themselves, now being confused. And all had to do is God stepping down. And people being dispersed throughout the nations is the main point of the text. What God does. It's interesting. Babel sounds like the Hebrew word for confused. So that's why they called it Babel. And we get Babylon from the Greek use of that. So Babylon is, you, you know Babylon. It's the city that forms, right? And Babylon is used throughout the rest of your Bible. In a negative way. If you were here for our Revelation series, the only <laughs> Babylon's uh, is used a lot in almost every chapter. It's, it's everywhere. It plays a very large role in the Bible. And when you see from now on, this is where it comes from, right? I'm, we're showing you how to read your Bible. You now know where it comes from. This type of man, man uh, this human's pride against God. And any time now that you see Babylon or Babylon mentioned from here on, you can look and say. God is, con is contrasting God's way of blessing with man's own attempt to find good. Babylon is used as kind of like an analogy saying it's, it's against God. It's rebellion. It's not for God. It's, it's man's own attempt. It's, now Babylon for you can be a key word. And now you know where it comes from. 
and also look, he, they headed east. Anytime now you hear in the Bible written about people heading east, just watch out. It's normal, normally not a great thing when people head east. So in closing, how does, what a story, first off. How does now knowing Christ in 2020 and where we're at, how, do, how does Christ now change this for us? Well, what was the root of humans' problem here? To me, I, you look at it, it's simple disobedience at some, some degree. They knew what they should do, and they say, no, we're going to do the exact opposite. And it's pride. It's disobedience and it's pride at its root. Not listening to what God wants. And instead, let's reach up to heaven ourselves. Let's build up our own towers against God. Build up an altar of self over an altar of worship. This is what the story is. And the same thing they're struggling with back then is still the same thing we're struggling with today. That's the connection. We're still all rotten to the core. Genesis 3, the fall, lives on. I'm tempted to build up my own towers in my life. To reach up to heavens. To think, I'm, I'm sort of like God. It's my way. Or I'll get upset. I want to make a name for myself is a temptation. For all of us, to some degree. You know what, students? When, when I was little, when little Keats was growing up, I was busy building up towers for myself. Towers of pride and strength of my own, own self, my own glory. But God was chasing after me the whole time, and he's chasing after you this morning. He is. Don't finish that tower yet. Don't finish. Just pause. Because, Romans 5, because for while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will... Scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But this is the crazy thing of it all. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still building our own towers, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still sinning, Christ died for you. How can we respond? Three things, three questions that kind of came to mind. Is there a simple area of disobedience? You can think this. Is there a simple area of disobedience in my life? Is there something God is asking me to do clearly and I'm completely doing the opposite? I mean, it's just so clear too. Think in your, your head and your heart. Just think, I mean, maybe it's obvious to you. Is there something I said, an area of disobedience in your life and you're literally doing the exact opposite of what God wants? God said, scatter. They settled. Not only that, they built an altar to themselves. This one, that's really convicting. This one is too. In what ways are you, am I building up towers instead of building up altars of worship for the Lord? Are you busy laying down, like Noah, altars of worship that are pleasing aromas? Or are you building up this tower, which is all about you, with bricks of fame, popularity, me? Eyes on me mentality. Or are you going to lay an altar of worship? And the cool thing there, well, there's, this is not the cool thing, but there's big towers and there's subtle towers. And so pray to look inward on that. There's some very subtle towers that look good, but they're still from a prideful, uh, a, a base of pride. But watch this. Upon the altar of worship, God can and will use you and he'll build you up. 
And God's bricks contain not straw and clay. God's bricks contain grace and mercy and love. And they're held together through his power. He doesn't need Venmos. He's got it. Lastly, am I more concerned about making my own name famous or making his name renowned? That's a question. <laughs> yes, Lord, walking, Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait for you. Your, your name and your renown as the desires of our heart are the desires of our heart. It's all about Jesus. It's, it's his fame and his name. But sometimes we substitute that and go be touts. Yes, Lord. Walking in the way of your truth, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our heart. From Eden to Babel, we've, been mess- we've messed up already. 11 chapters in, not looking good. If you look at this last slide here, 11 chapters in, we're looking at flanks, right? We had these flanks. We started with creation, and then we looked at humans, and then the fall. And then evil, and then redemption, and then civilization, and then judgment, and now nations. But really, flanks doesn't do it justice, because we've already, go to the next one. We actually had this rebellion. We can just call it rebellion. We are still in the same boat. We still don't have a savior. God's already had to cast out Adam and Eve. He sent a flood. That happened. He sent a flood. And now, he had to stop them from making this tower and scatter everyone to make nations. What's going to happen next? Well... God's going to change up how he's doing things. He's going to send people now. And the first patriarch that he sends is Abraham and Sarah. And you're going to learn more about Abraham next week. And the covenant, the everlasting covenant that God establishes through him. God's going to make this term on us called covenants. And that's going to be his solution to our sin problem from here on out. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this amazing time to be here. Let the Tower of Babel today, uh, let this story, it's really not the story of the tower in itself, but in God, how you dispersed everyone, you created nations, and now we can go to the nations with the good news, and now we have uh, missions, and uh, this changes everything. We could have talked just about missions today, but there's no time. So I I ask and I, I hope that the students would see the clear picture in this, is that, wow, there's... It's a simple root of pride and disobedience that was in these humans that don't want to look and see what uh, their ancestors did through Noah. And they said, eh, we're not going to build that altar of worship. We're going to build up this tower for us to reach heaven. And God, you stepped down and took care of that and spread everyone out. God, you stepped down in a greater way for us. In a similar way, you stepped down when you sent your son. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. He came down to us. In the fullness of time, you sent him on your time. And then he grew up. He was persecuted. He did great signs and miracles. And then they took him to the cross. He died. He rose again. He appeared to many and has risen himself. And then he ascended. And now we wait for him. We wait for him to come back. And we ask that you give us strength in the meantime to carry on. We'll ask and pray this in your son's name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.